Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, what's cracking? Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Huge weekend of football. Rams and Eagles in the Coliseum. Philadelphia gets out with the win, but they lost Carson Wentz with a torn ACL. The Browns survived a close scare, shaking off a 14-point fourth-quarter lead and manning up to keep that perfect streak alive. Plus, Pete Prisco joined me to talk some NFL. Atlanta Falcons linebacker Deion Jones came in after that huge INT, sealed that win against the Saints on Thursday night, and smack-off medalist Jeff Passan called from the winter meetings where he broke down that terrible trade between the Marlins and the Yankees. Alvy with a huge TV camera, three feet from his dome, rolling. <laughs> Eagles 43, Rams 35. The December showdown and the duel between Carson Wentz and Jared Goff that nobody saw coming before the season. Philly at LA lived up to all the hype. 78 combined points, huge plays by both teams, controversial penalties. It had it all. And Philadelphia bounces back in a huge way after that beatdown in Seattle. But something tells me they don't feel like celebrating at all. Philadelphia won that game. They won their division. But they may very well have lost their season in the process. Because as good as that win was, and it was great, losing Carson Wentz to a knee injury might just ruin everything. Wentz to his right. For the touchdown, but a flag thrown. We'll see if it's coming back. We'll show you the hit again. He's a big body quarterback, a big target. He got hit hard. Mark Barron was in there for the Rams. Watch his legs and his body just fold on that hit by. So that's Fox, and that was late in the third quarter. Wentz going into the end zone, lunging, hit by Mark Barron. Took a shot to the knee on that play, and then he stayed in the game for four more plays, including a touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey on fourth and goal, which gave Philly the lead. Fourth and goal from the three of the Rams. Wentz in the gun, two receivers right, two to the left. Gets the snap, looking, looking. He's got all day throwing end zone into traffic. Is it caught? Yes. Touchdown, Alshon Jeffrey. Thanks to Westwood One for that. Great catch. And the end of good times for Philly because Wentz walked off the field to the trainer's table and then headed for the locker room. The fact that he went straight to the locker room told you that it was bad. And while nothing is official yet, the news has not improved. Last night, Adam Schefter tweeted, quote, Carson Wentz's ACL was loose when it was tested manually today, which is why the team fears it's torn. Wentz is scheduled to undergo an MRI in Philadelphia on Monday per source, end quote. Now, there's a word that you never want associated with an ACL, loose. And if you're a Super Bowl contender, here's something you never want to be doing, turning your team over to a backup. And yes, I know that backup quarterbacks have won Super Bowls before and that Nick Foles had a monster year in 2013 where he threw for 27 touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 119. Maybe, maybe this guy can dial back and find something close to that yet again. Maybe the Eagles still win the Super Bowl, but... If you're trying to convince yourself that Philly's chances did not take a huge hit yesterday, you're fooling yourself and nobody else. Prior to his knee exploding, allegedly, probably, the NFC looked like it was the Eagles and everybody else. Now that conference is wide ass open. 
Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying their season is over. I'm not saying that they should just give up now, grab the golf clubs, and then come back in 2018. That's not it at all. They've got the best record in the NFC. They've got a really good look at a bye and home field throughout. And they definitely benefit from the fact that there are not a lot of elite teams in the NFC this year. Just like they've got a strong, strong ground game and a great defense. One that can step up when the offense needs help. But like they did last night, they're going to need help. The defense has got to play big. Chris Long made that big play on Jared Goff with that strip sack. Motion to the far side. This time, back goes Goff again. He steps up. He's hit. The football is loose. There's a fight for the ball. The Eagles have it. It's picked up. And running with the football is Patrick Robinson. Oh, no, it's Rodney McLeod. Rodney McLeod has it. And there's the big turnover we've been awaiting. And they got that big turnover. Look, Malcolm Jenkins said that although yesterday was tough, all is not lost. Quote, I don't know what to tell a man in that situation. I just told him, he's talking about Wentz, I just told him I loved him as a teammate, loved him as a friend. Obviously, everybody is feeling for him. But I've got a feeling if I know Carson, he'll find a way. And I'm not sure about his injury either, but if it is something that takes him off the team or out of the game, he'll find a way to have an impact on this team in a positive way. That's just his personality. End quote. Truth. Truth. But here's another sad truth. They are not the same team without Wentz. And trying to convince yourself otherwise is really absurd. I'm not saying that Jenkins is doing that. He knows it. He's saying that if Wentz can't play, he'll figure out a way to stay involved, which is great. But barring a miracle, this is now Nick Foles' team. He's a good backup. He might even be a very good backup, but he's a backup. He's not Carson Wentz. He's not the MVP favorite. Wentz is a special player. Wentz is the biggest reason the Eagles are where they are right now. And as good and well-rounded as they are, you don't lose the MVP favorite and just keep right on rolling. And if they do, they're much better than I thought. But I doubt that. You can't just next man up Carson Wentz. So that's a tough blow. Brutal blow. It's not official yet. But we'll wait and see. In the meantime, what do you do if you're Philadelphia? How are you supposed to look at that? Their head coach, Doug Peterson, said, like everybody else, we'll just await the results of the MRI. Find out more tomorrow. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know anything yet until we evaluate him fully tomorrow. It's just a report. Yeah. Trying to read your mind. Well, I mean, you're, you're speculating, you know, that he's going to be out. So uh, until I know more tomorrow um, on him, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say. But listen, there's a lot of leaders on that football team right now. Uh, and you saw it tonight. You know, truth be told, again, good defense, good running attack. You've got a solid backup, but it's just not the same thing. Obviously not the same thing. First email through on a Monday. Dear Rome, Nick Foles should be ready to take over for Carson Wentz. Regards, Jeremy Renner, a.k.a. Jason Bourne. Steven Phoenix. Hey, backups, backups have done it before. The thing about Foles is he doesn't need to come in and beat Carson Wentz for them to contend. But he's not Carson Wentz. Pete Prisco is my guest. Pete, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you, Pete? What's up, Romy? How are you? Good, good. Pete, how about you? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. All right, so Philadelphia was playing back-to-back road games. Pete, coming off a loss to Seattle, before we get into the Wentz injury, what do you make of the way Philadelphia showed up as a team out here and the way they won that game yesterday? Well, you know, coming off the Seattle loss is always tough because you get beat up physically. So I was concerned with that heading into the game. But, I mean, Every time they needed to respond, they responded. So I give them a lot of credit. 
I also thought the Rams played a good game, but at some point the Rams have to learn how to win against good teams. I mean, they played the Vikings on the road and lost that game. They played Eagles at home, a game you're supposed to win and didn't win that game, and now they go to Seattle this week. So Rams need to learn how to win, and, and obviously the big news out of that game is the Carson Wentz injury. So let's hit that right now. It is official. He's got that torn ACL. Pete, the Eagles have been very resilient this year. They've already overcome injuries at left tackle and linebacker, so we know they've got that kind of grit, but are they resilient enough to keep on rolling without Carson Wentz? Well, you know, clearly I think they can win a playoff game maybe, but I don't think they can win a Super Bowl without them. Uh, you know, they were, to me, the team to beat in the, in the NFC, even after what happened last week at Seattle. Their defense can rush the passer, although they had problems, uh, you know, on, on Sunday. But when you look at this team, you know, do they run the ball great? No. You know, do they rush the passer? Yes. Are they great in the secondary? Pretty good. But you add it all up, it comes back to that quarterback position. And I just don't think, Jim, that, that Nick Foles is that guy. I know he had the 27-2 and two season uh, with Chip Kelly a couple years ago, and, and a lot of people say that's one of the great aberration seasons of all time. But I don't think Nick Foles can win a Super Bowl, so I think the Eagles pretty much are done. We're talking to Pete Prisco. So, Pete, if Philadelphia is no longer the team to beat in the NFC, who is then? That's, that's the million-dollar question because each of them over the last couple of weeks, each of the top contenders have had their issues. I mean, you saw the Vikings on Sunday go to Carolina, Carolina beat them, and they also have a lot of line issues. You know, Riley Reese, their left tackle, went out of that game. He left the stadium in a boot. Uh, they played without their starting center. The right tackle was out as well. So now they have line issues, and they got sacked six times, Case Keenum did on Sunday. So that's a concern. The Saints look like they were riding high, and then they lose out at Atlanta. Um, you know, all across the league, you, you've got all kinds of issues. The Rams haven't shown that they can, you know, continually beat the best teams. So I think it's pretty wide open. And, and the team that gets hot down the stretch will be the team that probably wins it all. Uh, you know, look out for Atlanta. If Atlanta can get hot, go to uh, New Orleans in a couple weeks and win that game and then uh, win the finale against Carolina, they'll probably be the division champ and, and they could be a dangerous team come postseason. Clones, give me one second so I can talk to you about stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. We are talking to Pete Prisco. Pete, let me ask you about Jacksonville, who beat Seattle yesterday. They're 9-4 on the year. They take over first in the AFC South. That phrase, statement win, always gets thrown around. But was that a statement win for Jacksonville? Yeah, I think it was from the standpoint of they bullied the bully. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the Seahawks have been the bully in the league for a long time, and they physically beat up people. And I granted, they're hurt uh, on the defensive side of the football. 
uh, and they lost Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright in that game for you know for periods of time. But you know they always want to get into it with the opposition, and this time the opposition pushed back and, and won. Now it got ugly. It got really ugly, to be honest with you. I thought what Michael Bennett did was classless. That you know attacking the the kneel down formation, and then you get Jefferson and what he did. And, and the Jaguar fans should never throw things on a player although that happens all over the league. A player can't respond the way Jefferson did. It got ugly, but I think that was a statement game, Jim. I mean, look, let's be honest about it. I live in Jacksonville. That team does not get a lot of national recognition. They need to get more of that. That defense is special. And, and oh, by the way, the last two games, Blake Bortles has four touchdown passes, no interceptions, and he's, he's thrown for over 550 yards, so he's playing good football as well. You know, it got really ugly after that game, as you point out, Pete. Quentin Jefferson almost got into the stands, and if that would have happened, that would not have been good for anybody. You mentioned Bortles. 18-27, 268 yards, a pair of touchdowns. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to compare him to Russell Wilson, but Bortles has put together back-to-back solid games. What's that mean then to Jacksonville? Given their defense, are they a legitimate threat in the postseason if he continues to play like this, and can he sustain that? Yes. Uh, well, they are a threat if he can play like that. Can he sustain it? There's always that you know little bit of doubt in the back of your mind if he can. You know, the amazing thing, too, Jim, is he's playing with five rookies on that offense at some point. I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. The left tackle's a rookie. The running back's a rookie in Fournette. Uh, you know, the receivers, Westbrook, the guys who made the big plays on Sunday, Westbrook, D.D. Westbrook, and Keelan Cole are both rookies. So, yeah, it's a tough situation. What they have to do, and they've learned that, I think, the last couple weeks, is allow them to throw on early downs. Last week against the Colts, he threw on nine of his first 12 first down plays and got comfortable. On Sunday, they did the same thing for the first three quarters and allow him to get comfortable. When he goes bad, he goes really bad. So if you allow him to get comfortable, throw some uh, passes down the field on early downs, let him get comfortable, I think he plays better in that scenario. We're talking to Pete Prisco. Pete, let me ask you about the AFC West. Kansas City finally snapped their four-game losing streak. Was that more about the Chiefs playing well or the Raiders doing what tight end Lee Smith said? And I quote, we just went out there and pissed on our leg, end quote. I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, the Chiefs had a lot of pressure on them. They had played so poorly. They were at home. You know, it was one of those spots where you're playing a division rival. You get up for that. And I think Andy Reid did a great job of, of scheming some things open in that situation. But the Raiders aren't very good. I, I mean, you, we've talked about their defense the entire offseason. But go to the other side of the football. They paid Derek Carr a boatload of money to be a franchise quarterback, and he has not responded with the type of season uh, most people expected, including myself. So, uh, Raiders aren't very good. We'll know more about the Chiefs come this week when, when the Chargers go there for what should be the, the – I think the winner of that game will be the division champion. So how do you think that goes? We, we'll know more about the Chiefs come Saturday night. We know a lot about the Chargers right now. They've won 7-9. They're playing really, really well. It's early in the week, Pete, but coming off what we saw this past weekend and the way recent weeks have gone, how do you feel about that matchup? I think the Chargers go in there and win. I think Philip Rivers is playing phenomenal football. The offensive line has been stabilized in the last couple of weeks. Keenan Allen's been unreal, and part of the reason is because he's had those knee injuries. He's become one of the better route runners in the league as a result of that. And then on the other side of the ball, you have pass rushers. This is a passer-pass rusher league. The Chiefs don't rush the passer very well. The Chargers do. I think the Chargers go in there and win the football game. Got a couple of quick minutes with Pete Prisco still yet. Pete, Green Bay beat Cleveland yesterday. Now they've got the possibility of Aaron Rodgers coming back this week in time to face Carolina. How do you expect the Packers to show up in that game? And do you think we'll see Aaron Rodgers? I do think you'll see Aaron Rodgers. And, and again, that's a tough task to come back from that and go on the road and play Carolina, who can 
get after the quarterback and, and has been pretty solid on defense this season. I, I do think he'll come back, and I think he'll play well. And, you know, he wouldn't come back if he wasn't at least capable of making the same type of throws that he made before the injury. You see him throwing the football around in pregame warm-ups in some of these games, and he's looked pretty good. So, yeah, I do expect him to come back. But that's a, that's a tough task for them. They can't afford any more losses. Uh, and being right out of the gate, you got to go to Carolina. Really, really be a big challenge for Aaron Rodgers. You figure they've got to run the table, and that's going to be a tough, tough task. One last thought. Pittsburgh, Pete, jumped out to a lead last night. They fell behind. Then they come back to win. What do you make of how Pittsburgh showed up after an emotional game against the Bengals and without Ryan Shazier? Yeah, that's always tough when you have a teammate down, and clearly that was on their minds. Uh, but, you know, for me, when you look at that team, the last couple weeks, even when before Shazier went hurt, got hurt against Huntley a couple weeks ago, their pass defense hasn't been very good. And that's never a good thing, because you know who's coming to town next week, Tom Brady, and he has destroyed the Steelers over the course of his career. Uh, you know, I think he has like 29 touchdowns and three interceptions in his career against them. You better show up that secondary. It's going to be a long night for them when they, or a long afternoon for them when they do play the Patriots. Elvin, I need some time. I couldn't really get loose in the open. I need some time to get myself right, and I'm ready to do it right now. Just give me one second. <clears throat> Los Angeles, show me your lightning bolt. What a freaking town! Carson, Silver Lake, Rosemead. Woodland Hills, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, Malibu, Broad Beach, every beach, Calvasis. That's where Van Smack is from, right? Tarzana. Again, that takes time off my life every time I do that, but it's worth it. And it still hurts me less than it probably hurts you, San Diego Charger fan. Look, I am not here to dump salt in that wound. But I've got a bucket of shine with the Chargers name on it. And I don't care where they play their games. I don't care if they play at Qualcomm. I don't care if they play at a soccer stadium or at a middle school. This team is on one right now. Just ask the Redskins. They flew across the country just to get punched in the face. 30-13. Four straight for the Chargers. Seven of their last nine. They're tied with the Chiefs atop the AFC West with that huge showdown coming up on Saturday night. We're talking about a team that was left for dead two months ago on the side of the 405 with a sign hanging around their neck that read, please take back to San Diego. If you can haul it, you can have it. Now look. Now they're the hottest team in the NFL, not named the Pats. But don't take my word for it. How about a front of the program? You know Mike Freeman? Mike Freeman dropped this on Twitter yesterday. Quote, the Chargers could beat any team in football now. I can't believe I wrote that sentence. End quote. Why not, Mike? You're not wrong. Over their past four games, they have outscored their opponents 131-53. to So they're not just beating people, they're beating them down. And you know how you know when a team in L.A. is doing well? It is the easiest analytic, or metric in the entire world. You know a team is doing well in Southern California when the stars come out. And guess which all-time duo was on the sidelines yesterday? Freaking Slater and Zach Morris. So if you want to see proof that the Chargers are LA's team, head to Mario Lopez's Twitter feed right now and check out that pick with Mark Paul Gossler. If this keeps up, it's only a matter of time before Luke Perry and Tori Spelling are spotted in the stands.
It's like, I don't care how it ends. I don't care how it ends, but it says here it's going to end well. I know you're supposed to be exactly what your record says you are, but they were not nearly as bad as that 0-4 record said they were, and they'd be even better than their mark says they are right now when they're 7-6. and six. They are. They've won 7 of 9. And again, they're not just beating people. They're beating them down. They've won each of their last four by nearly 20 a game. The Chiefs may have stopped the bleeding against the Raiders, but that says more about the underachieving Raiders than it does Kansas City. I guess what I'm saying, Chiefs fan, I'd rather be them than I would you right now. I guess what I'm saying, Charger fan, well, San Diego Charger fan, I feel badly for you. For the San Diego Charger fan, I feel badly for you. You do deserve better, but you can't hold that against the players. It's not their fault. And you really should ask yourself this. San Diego Charger fan, look in the mirror. Ask yourself a really hard question. What is more important to you? Free tacos when they lose or a team that you loved your entire life coming back from the dead to wreck shop and shock the world? While you think about that, I think I want to bump one of my all-time favorite songs. And if my man, The Knife, were here with me in studio, he'd sing along with me. Alvin, hit it. Supercharger San Diego. Supercharger San Diego. Sing it, everybody. San Diego. We're coming your way. Oops. We're gonna dazzle you with our play. Sing it, everybody. The time has come. You know we're shooting for number one. If my wife's listening to me right now, she's just out of her mind. Oh my God, Jimmy, you're crazy. Sky, yai, And more. Chargers try. Sing the chorus. San Diego. Super Chargers. Everybody. I think the heat in this studio just went up 10 degrees. San Diego. San Diego. Bring it. All of you. That's it? There's got to be another verse, Alvy. What's the other verse? Not that verse. Not the same verse. We got a plan. It says it right there in the lyrics. We'll do it for our super fans. Come on, San Diego Charger fan. Everybody, all together now. Think of it as like a football Christmas carol. With our play. We know we're shooting for number one. Anyway, Chiefs fan. Thanks, Alvy. I think they get it. Chiefs fan, do you feel like you got right? Do you feel like you stopped the bleeding? Do you feel like you're the team that was 5-0 earlier this year? Because I'm watching you and I don't see it that way. Again, I think that win yesterday, you got the win you had to have, but that tells me more about the Raiders than it does you. And the Chargers are blowing people out. And remember, when they were 0-4, they were not nearly as bad as that record indicated. They were in those games. So that's no 7-6 and team I'm looking at right now. Telephone number is toll-free, 1-800-636-8686. The wife is in. Quote, never heard you acting so crazy on the air. I'm not acting crazy at all. Jano, 
just hyping up the Chargers. They earned it. Listen, Janet, you know this. I'm speaking directly to my wife right now. You know this better than anybody. The whole premise of me doing what I do is accountability, responsibility. I give people credit when they deserve it, and they get wrapped when they deserve that. The Chargers deserve credit. They're getting their credit. And what better way to give them credit than to bust out their theme song and sing along? At, or Mark B. in San Diego tweets, no signs of Lisa Turtle at the Bolts game yesterday. Count me out. Signed, Screech. Not yet. I'm telling you, they're coming. The surest sign of a team having success in L.A. is when the stars come out. And the stars are coming out to Carson. Look, guys like that, they can go anywhere. They can do what they want, when they want, wherever they want. When they come out and they choose to be there, that tells you the team has arrived. Charger fans, 1-800-636-8686. What I'm getting at, and we've been doing this now week to week to week because they keep winning and they're playing better and better. So then inevitably I shout out, San Diego Charger fan, does it make you forgive and forget or do you hate Dean Spanos even more right now? Does it hurt even more that they're doing this and they're doing it up north? They're not doing it at home. How long can you hold that grudge? Or can you get beyond that? I mean, this is the player. These are the players that you love. This is the team that you love, and look what they're doing. It's an amazing year the way they fired back. Can you forget what happened to you, or is that just not going to happen? And then even more importantly, up here, Los Angeles, Carson, Redondo, Calabasas, Tarzana, Anaheim. Wherever you are outside of San Diego, are you ready to embrace this team? Are you ready to pick a team in Southern California, or are you a longtime Ram fan, and are you going to ride with them? I'm really curious, especially before I go back to New York. I'm going to the NFL and CBS this weekend. Every time I go back to New York, they want to know. When I'm in New York, people ask me, Rome, what's it like back home? What's it like? You're in Southern California, because people know me. I'm like the Southern California guy. What's it like? Is there a buzz? Who are they following? What team are they getting with? And I keep saying the same thing. It's a slow build. I mean, this is a front-running town, but they're not going to just jump on board and ride shoddy with these guys. Not yet. So I'm trying to get a sense. If you're in L.A. or in and around L.A., which team are you rolling with? The Rams or the Chargers? Or are you waiting to see? 1-800-636-8686. We are toll-free. Jeff Passon coming up next hour. Let's go to Oakland. Evan in Oakland. Evan, good to have you on the show. How are you? Jimmy! Hey, man. I know the Raiders are low-hanging fruit, but I'm really trying to lay off the processed sugar, and I'm here in Oakland, so I'm going to have to pick me some. Speaking of picks, how about my boy David King Tutankhamen Carr serving him up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Oh, man, so tasty. And then when the camera pans over to Jack Del Rio on the sideline, you see him there, Rome, he's just standing there staring off into nothing because he has absolutely no clue what to do. But wait a minute. Here come the Raiders in the fourth quarter. They score a TD. They recover an onside kick. They score another TD, and everybody's thinking, hey, maybe they're going to make another comeback like they did in almost every single game last season, which is the only reason anybody thought they were going to be any good this this season. But guess what? They still suck. And then the cherry on top, Rome. Rich Gannon is calling the game. The 2002 league MVP who tagged. Goodbye, Evan. Evan, how dare you interrupt my singing for something like that? Here come the emails. The subject of this email is, why isn't this on TV? 
Oh, it is. It is. Just not on your TV. We're rehearsing right now. This guy writes, oh, what I would give to be watching this in San Diego. And you will on January 2nd. When the show comes to TV on January 2nd on CBS Sports Network, you can see all of this. Stuck nuts in. Quote, I'm really looking forward to the hacksaw impersonation when you're on TV. You'll get it. If they keep playing as well as they are right now, you will get it. Light up the sky. We'll give it all we got. And more. Sing it. San Diego Superchargers. We are joined by Jeff Passan. Hey, Jeff, what's going on? How are you? Ben Smack, how are you, my friend? Good, bud. Good. How about you? How are things? Living the dream. Good. Excellent. I know you are. Take me back to Friday. I'm going to start right there, Jeff. What was your reaction when you heard that Shohei Otani had agreed to sign with the L.A. Angels of all teams? You know, it's funny. I was just talking about this with somebody in the lobby here at the winter meetings in Orlando. There's still shock throughout the baseball mm. industry that Shohei Otani is an angel. Um, I, I understand why Anaheim would be an appealing market to him if he wants to DH and if he wants to have the Los Angeles lifestyle potentially without quite the hustle and bustle of actually living in L.A., but at the same time, you look at the teams that he narrowed it down to, and you have the Los Angeles Dodgers, who were one win away from the World Series last year. You have the Chicago Cubs, who won the World Series the year before. Uh, you have the Seattle Mariners, who went absolutely all out, and the San Diego Padres, with whom he has a ton of relationships. And the Angels were just the dark horse the entire time. And I still don't quite understand what it was that swung him toward them. You know, he talks about comfort. He talks about uh, things feeling right there. I just don't know where that comfort came from or what those things that make it feel right are. But the fact is, he's an angel. He's going to play with Mike Trout. And they're a whole lot better now than they were five days ago. Jeff Passon joining us. You know, I see it the same way. When that story broke, Jeff, I'm like, are you kidding me? And here we are after the weekend, and my sense still is, are you kidding me? That, that that's a thing that really happened? But it did. Now, what's your sense as to what he's like as a person and how he approaches the game of baseball? From everything I've gotten from people who have spoken with him, and I've not personally spoken with him, but from, from executives, uh, from scouts, from people in Japan who know him, they say he's kind of a farm boy, actually. He grew up in a small town. Uh, up until the point now when he's coming over here, he lived in the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighter dorms. Hmm. Like, this is a guy who was one of the most famous people in his country, and he was living in a dorm. He, he sleeps, eats, and breathes baseball. He wants to become uh, a great baseball player in the major leagues and prove uh, that he's not just a, a great pitcher but can be a great hitter as well and that his dedication to his craft is, is really the thing that guides his life at this point. And look, he's 23 years old, so there's not a whole lot going on right there just in terms of living experience. You can be sheltered and want to succeed at what you do at that age and get away with it. But this is going to be a whole different ball game for him. Uh, you know, it's hard to be a major league pitcher every fifth day, as Japanese pitchers who have come here will attest. It's hard to be a major league hitter every day and go up against the great stuff that pitchers are bringing now. To be able to do both 
while you're adjusting to society in a brand new country in a language you don't understand is an exceedingly difficult thing to do. So I think while the expectations for Shohei Otani are going to be off the charts, uh, realizing that there are all of these barriers between him and him achieving them is something we should all keep in mind. Jeff Passan joining us, and maybe that's part, partly why he decided to do so here with the Angels, and maybe the glare of the spotlight's not quite that sharp, but to your point, it's such an amazing transition to have to make. You know, Jeff, you touched on this, but you talked about Japanese pitchers coming over and having to pitch every fifth day and how challenging that could be. It's one day less than they're accustomed to. We are talking about a fastball that hit 102 or does hit 102 on the gun. He's got number of off-speed pitches how good do you think that he can be as a starting pitcher here I think he can be a number one starter and I don't mean a guy who starts on opening day I mean a legitimate number one starter and right now there's maybe five of those in baseball Clayton Kershaw is a number one starter Corey Kluber Chris Sale Max Scherzer you can probably toss Madison Bumgarner maybe Justin Verlander at this point in there but the list really not a whole lot longer than that the stuff though that Otani has is overwhelming. I mean, he's got a fastball that sits 97 to 100 regularly. Uh, his splitter is nasty. Uh, he's got a, a, an array of off-speed pitches that are really good. So uh, if he can keep his control, then we're talking about a guy who's going to be in Cy Young contention every year. Jeff passing my guest. Now, at the same time, Jeff, he can hit as well. Part of the fascination with him is the power that he has at the plate as a hitter. What was he like as a hitter and a fielder in Japan? Well, he hasn't played in the field since 2014. And even then, I think he played only eight games in right field. So uh, he does have deceptively excellent speed. And I'm talking like pretty close to Billy Hamilton down the line speed. I mean, we're, th- this, is, this is elite. He's down, you know, from the left side, he's down the line at about 3.85 to 3.9 seconds, which anything under four, uh, you're in the top two or three percent in baseball. And so he's got really good speed. I mean, he's a great athlete. And in the power and the swing, you can't question that. But he struck out a lot in Japan. And Japanese baseball isn't, isn't like American baseball in that the strikeouts aren't nearly as big of a part of the game there as they are here. So the idea that it's going to translate over here and that what some scouts have said is a pretty long swing uh, is going to bear immediate fruit, I'm not sure about that. He's going to run into some balls. Ball is juice, so it's going to fly once it hits his bat. But, you know, he's going to be one of those guys who has a two or three home run game and it won't surprise you, but he'll probably also go through an 0-for-15 streak that makes you wonder why are they even bothering with him hitting. And to be honest with you, I think long-term, he's going to be a pitcher. I think the hitting thing's going to happen for a year. They're probably going to give it a second year in earnest. But ultimately, he's going to be so good as a pitcher that the risk of putting him out there on even a twice or three times a week basis to go and hit, I'm just not sure it's going to be worth the, the upside. We're talking to Jeff Passan. He's covering the Major League Baseball winter meetings. Jeff, before I let you go, how about a quick thought about the big trade between the Marlins and the Yankees? So much for the Yankees' rebuilding process. They add a, add a gigantic bat in Giancarlo Stanton. I'm not even sure they needed that bat, but that's the Yankee way, right? Why do they do it? Because they can. They send Starling Castro and a pair of minor leaguers to Miami in the trade. Just one thought. What do you make of what Derek Jeter and the Marlins got in exchange for Stanton? I think pennies on the dollar would be overvaluing it, to be honest. Right. Uh, they, they are in 
pure dump mode at this point. And uh, if you think some of the teardowns in Miami have been bad before, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing to me, and I'm going to be writing about this today, is that Major League Baseball facilitated the sale of the Marlins franchise to a group of owners uh, that did not have the cash uh, in order to make this a competitive baseball team right now. They have a decent enough core in place with Stanton and Christian Yelich and Marcelo Zuna and uh, JT Realmuto. I mean, those are, those are four legitimately good potential all-stars every year. You can build a team around that. But their first move as owners was to ditch the payroll and to bring it down at least $40 million over last year. So, you know, Ozuna's probably going to move this week. Stanton is officially a Yankee. Uh, from what I've been told, they're still listening on Yelich. Uh, I mean, it's it's a teardown in the Jeffrey Loria style. And if you thought that ownership uh, of the Marlins was going to improve once Loria sold, which seemed to be an inevitability, well... Uh, I'm not saying that Jeets is uh, is nearly as bad as Loria, but this has been an ignominious start for them, and it's gotten ugly, and I think it's probably going to get even uglier. Now, I was going to say, is it possible that they had the worst owner ever and then replaced him with even worse owners? <laughs> is that too much? I, I, would, I would like to believe that Derek Jeter is going to be a better owner than Jeffrey Loria was, but I don't know if you saw this. I wrote a story, I think it was last week, about how the Marlins fired a scout. Yep. Uh, excuse me, they didn't renew his contract uh, and let him know while he was in the hospital recovering uh, from colon cancer surgery. And he also needs a kidney transplant, and they just let him go. And so uh, if that's how they're going to treat human beings, uh, boy, I think that it was a, it was a despicable thing frankly, uh, something that I'd like to think no other team, no other business would even conceive of doing. And I'm just hopeful that they learn their lesson from that, that you have to treat people better. Even Loria, to the best of my knowledge, Jeff, never told a guy to hit the bricks while he was in, hos- in a hospital <laughs> awaiting a kidney transplant. But Jeter has. Yeah, uh, you know, Chuck went up for the uh, for the record there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a bad start for them. And well, transitions from ownership are are generally difficult things, but the fact that he didn't reach out to Stanton within the first you know two months of him owning the team, this guy who's your franchise, this guy you owe ten year you know two hundred ninety five million dollars over ten years, I think that told you where Stanton was going to go, and it was going to be somewhere other than Miami. One sack, eight passes defensed, and a couple of interceptions. He was an all-rookie team player last season, played his college ball at LSU. The Falcons are 8-5. and five. They're at Tampa on Monday night. Linebacker Deion Jones is my guest. Deion, good to have you back on. How are you? How you doing? I'm doing great, Deion. How are things? How are you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Hey, look, I'm guessing you've already shifted towards the upcoming game against the Bucks, but I've got to start with Thursday's win over New Orleans, and in particular that incredible interception that won the game. Can you take me through the play? What did you see from Drew Brees, and what did it feel like when you came down with that ball? Uh, it was just pretty much the call that we was in. Uh, I knew I was by myself uh, with the tight end, uh, and when he looked back, I just I looked back, and the ball was right there. And, I really didn't realize I was that high until I saw my feet. and I just knew it was going to be miserable going down. <laughs> right? I was going to say, dude, you were up in the air a long, long time, and then it looked like you hit the ground really hard. What was that landing like for you? Uh, I just wanted to hold on to the ball. Uh, 
you know, I really wanted to seal the deal for my brothers uh, and, you know, really get that turnover. And um, I just wanted to hold on to it and, you know, seal the deal for us. Uh, you know, we, we had a hard-fought game, and I wanted to turn out the right way. Deion Jones joining us. You also said after the game, quote, we always talk about being closers and being the baddest on the field. That's just a product of how hard we work, and I'm proud, end quote. So how would you describe the attitude of this defense and the brotherhood that's back there? Uh, we're all linked in together. Uh, we all try to leave it all on the field for each other. And I, I can say after every game, like, I, we've always fought all the way to the end. And, you know, it's never been, you know, anyone, you know, just giving up. And that's how strong we are. We always want to fight to the end for one another. Talking to Deion Jones, you know, Deion, Matt Ryan's won so many big games for you guys and made so many plays. That was not necessarily his best game. Was there a feeling at all on the defensive side that maybe that was one of those days where you guys need to pick him up and win the game? Uh, it's just a matter of how – that's just how we are. We always have each other's back. Uh, special teams uh, has the offense back just like they have our back, and we have, you know, and vice versa. And we always talk about, you know, passing the baton and, when it's our turn on the field, we just got to, you know, try our best to, you know, do what all we have to do to get the ball back in the offense's hands because, you know, the more they, get, they have the ball, the more they're going to get a rhythm and get things going. I mentioned in the open that you were all rookie last season. You had a monster first season, and then you've come back and you've even improved on that. So what was your first season like, and then how much did you change things or how much did it change things for you in terms of expectations for yourself this season? Uh, this season is just a little bit more. I'm a little bit more comfortable in the scheme. Uh, last year it was a, it was a lot of things going on at one time, and you know, kind of being thrown in the fire and landing situations on the run. And I mean, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, uh, because they trusted me to, you know, to embrace it and uh, take it, you know, and run with it. And I, I can say, as the years have been gone, I've just been trying to find, you know, different places I could get better in my game and just working on it. Falcons linebacker Deion Jones, my guest. You know, the league is so it's so competitive and it's so bottom line and it can be so cutthroat. Shortly after you were drafted, Paul Worlow, who was the team's middle linebacker, texted you and said, if you need anything at all, just let him know. What did it mean to receive a message like that from him, even though you were there to maybe take his job? Uh, it was crazy. Uh, he, I call him my big bro. Uh, he, I mean, he, he helped me out and in ways that, like, uh, he didn't even have to, you know, help me, you know, you know, get the playbook and learn the scheme and stuff like that. And, I mean, I could, I, I always thanked him. And it was like, you know, he was just like a brother. And just how brotherhood is, our brotherhood is, we're so close. And uh, he just made sure that I was, you know, that when we competed, it was, was going to be fair. And, you know, like, we are going to go at it uh, for the job. And I respected him for that. Yeah, it seems really unusual, right? I mean, is it? And why do you think that he handled it like that? Um, I mean, that's just I I feel like that's just the type of person uh Warlow is. He's just a genuine guy. And uh I mean, like I said, he helped me he, he taught me what it was to be a pro, you know, how he approached every week with his preparation and took care of his body and uh went to work every week and he was my example. We're talking to Deion Jones. In, in terms of taking care of your body, part of your off-season regimen, I see, was to focus on maybe improving your diet some, and that meant looking at the number of Skittles and gummy bears that you were eating. So I got to know, did you cut them out of the diet altogether, or did you just cut back? Uh, I really just cut back on the candy. Uh, I still have a little problem with it, but I, I usually just I, I cut it out for the most part. I try to do my best to keep it out, but I just can't. I can't.
<laughs> Dion, listen, man, I, I I understand what you're saying because I still have a little problem with it as well. In fact, some other stuff too. What is that? Like, we know we shouldn't. We know we, we don't want to. We know we feel better when we don't. So why do we keep doing it? What is that? Man, I don't know. It just, it just Skittles taste too good to just cut it out. <laughs> It does taste too good. I don't know, man. I'm sure somebody can explain it. One of these people will call up and explain it to me once you're gone. I just know that when that crap hits the bloodstream, man, it feels good. And then it doesn't, but it feels good for a minute or two, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, you recently said also that if you could watch only one movie for the rest of your life, it would be Disney's Hercules. What is it about that flick that you like so much? Oh, man, that's just one of my childhood movies that I always love. I still watch it to this day. And I'm talking about I used to watch it like three or four times a day just on repeat. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I held the TV down for hours just watching it. I, I, I still can't. It was one of my movies that I grew up love. I had the cake for like three years. It was bad. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You got nothing to apologize for. We all got a movie like that. I get it. You're also known, and notice I'm kind of taking this off the field a little bit, having some fun. You're also known for walking around barefoot. Like, I'm one of those guys, I got soft feet. I'm not good like that. I don't like doing it. Like, I go out there, and it always ends badly for me. But you go without <laughs> shoes as often as you can. What's the story behind that? Uh, it's just, I just like my feet to be free. I always was like that. Uh, I mean, I walk outside barefoot. Sometimes, uh, I mean, not too far, but like some days I get in the car and go to work without shoes on because I know I have shoes at the facility. Like, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just more comfortable without, with my shoes off. I walk around the facility with my shoes off. Why does anybody okay. do anything? <laughs> Dion, why does, Dion, why does anybody do anything? Because they can. Because they can. So I get it. Listen, how much of what you do on the field as a linebacker is about reacting to what happens in the moment, and then how much of that is the result of the preparation that you've done in the meeting room and in the film room? Uh, instead of, I feel like it helps me, instead of guessing, it's more like the anticipation of, you know, what's about to go on uh, you know, seeing certain looks and, you know, seeing a certain key that I know for sure uh, that something's about to happen. And it's just a matter of reacting to it and uh, just being on point with it uh, instead of just, you know, guessing, uh, you know, second guessing yourself. You also have to, you know, know it so you can trust it. So it's, it's a lot that goes into it. Here in Southern California, Jeff in SoCal. Let's go to the phones. Jeff, good morning. How are you? Rome, I'm great, man. How you doing? So good. What's up? Hey, I got a big question for San Diego. How does my freshly Botox can earth taste today? Hey, how's not having football going for you down there, San Diego fan? Have you started digging around your basement for your old Philip Rivers jersey? Hey, honey, have you seen the old Rivers jersey? Have you made it to any of those indoor soccer games yet? Have you made it over to the Jenny Craig Pavilion for any USD basketball? Rome, I'm loving the Chargers, man. They're fun to watch. If they get in the playoffs, who knows what's going to happen. Watching the Chargers, I'm two wins away from investing in a car flag. I mean, when I watch Rivers out there, I get a little emotional, Rome. I'm feeling like Jeff in San Antonio when he called in to let you know he had sex with his fiance. War, me and my Chargers. Rack me, I'm out. Yeah, Jeff, that's not going to happen. San Diego. <laughs> this guy's trolling you so hard. 
That's it for now. Make sure you check out the Jim Rome podcast tomorrow. We have a fascinating guest, Christopher Gofford of the LA Times and the writer and host of the Dirty John podcast. Trust me, hit play, start listening, and then check back here tomorrow for Podcast Tuesday. We'll see you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.